The other quick thing I want to ask everybody is anybody kind of in a conundrum over the Super Bowl right now as to who you would like to see win? No? No? Some of you are Chiefs fans, right? Like, you know, Brock Purdy, the Chiefs, right? Anybody? Nobody's in a conundrum? Yeah, some people. Yeah, I see people in a conundrum, right? It, for me, it's easy. For, I just, 49ers all the way. I love you guys, Chiefs. If you win, God bless you. But I don't need you, bar, you know, berating me for another year about how great the Chiefs are and how terrible the Broncos are. So I'm praying for the Lord's grace and mercy. But either way, we're going to have a great time. Um, Welcome again. I'm excited to have all of you worshiping with us here. Uh, we are in a study where we're going over some names of Jesus. And my prayer in this is we continue to look at these names, that we will be able to have a deeper, better understanding of who our Lord and Savior is. Um, it is one thing to talk about Jesus Christ. It's a whole other thing to know him in a deep, personal, and intimate way. But even beyond that, in knowing him in a deep, personal, and intimate way, there's a great joy in understanding who it is that we worship. The big thing that I want to talk to you about and help you recognize is the names that we're going through. Every name that you're going to hear is not something that is made up or a nickname or just kind of an attribute that has no substance. So often, we might have nicknames. We might put out some names of friends or whatever they might be. Mine, when I was growing up, was T-Bone. That's what everybody called me. It actually started out uh, with my uh, grandfather, Papa. He called me T-Bone, and then it sort of went from there. Now, the nice part about that is, is that's how you recognize who I am, but T-Bone really has no meaning to me other than every time I hear it, I get hungry for a nice juicy T-bone. But there's nothing about that name that has any qualitative aspect in who I am. Yet everything that we're going to look at, everything that we are going to discover as we go through these names of Jesus are attributed to him. But what's also amazing is the majority of these names are attributed to him and him alone. And so the other thing that I want you to be encouraged about is to look at when we hear some of these names, they might be attributed to other people, but in particular, this instance, we're going to discover that while these names might be attributed to others, Christ is the only one who truly exemplifies these names, or is the pinnacle of the names that we have. To begin, I want to take a moment, and the world has always been excited and fascinated with the anointed one. We see movies time and time again about that special individual, the unique one that comes forth and brings about salvation or a greater good to the people. And just to name a few things, one of my favorite movies is obviously The Lord of the Rings, and we know Frodo. Frodo is this anointed one who goes forth to destroy the, the ring and bring freedom, quote unquote, to Middle Earth. How many of you are familiar with the story of Excalibur? We love uh, watching sort of that medieval knight's tale about Excalibur and the sword that is there and that the unique individual, the anointed one, will be the only one who can pull the sword from the rock. And so men come forward of great strength. They try to pull that sword out of the rock. And lo and behold, the anointed one is the one who pulls that sword from the rock. And then 
Some of you might love the kind of modern movie classic, The Matrix, and obviously Keanu Reeves' discovery that he, quote unquote, is the anointed one. We're fascinated with that. And what I want to tell you today, we're going to talk about truly who is the anointed one. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing that we're going to do, and for those of you that enjoy your schooling or education, how many of you have a favorite teacher? How many of you remember a favorite teacher out there that impacted you greatly? We all have them. We all have memorable ones. And what we're going to discover is we're going to look at another name of Jesus, which is rabbi or teacher. But what we're going to discover about rabbi or teacher is the name truly is wholly unique for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to start off, obviously, with a question that we always do. And it is simply this. What does it mean to call Jesus Christ slash Messiah and rabbi or teacher? Now, the first name that I want to share with you is Christ Messiah. It's Christos in Greek. You might uh, be familiar with that. But it is Messiah, okay, from which we get the word Messiah in Hebrew. What's important to recognize, though, is that Messiah, or Christ, takes on a very special connotation, as I've said before, for the name of the Anointed One. This phrase refers to someone who is set apart for a specific mission. And that's very important to recognize. When you would come forward and you would either say Christ or Messiah, okay, this is a name that is entitled for someone who is set out for a specific mission. It's an elevated title. It's a very unique title. But with it, it comes that they are going to do something or accomplish a specific task. And obviously, in this case, the task that Jesus had was this. As Christ Messiah, Jesus' mission was to die upon a cross so that as sinners, we could have the opportunity to be reconciled back to God through his sacrifice. I want to take a moment and I want to share with you to remember and reflect upon the fact that when we speak of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah, what we are saying is Yeshua Messiah, and that is Savior who is the Anointed One. And when we discover that Savior who is the Anointed One's mission, special task, is to go to the cross and die upon us to save, it, save us from uh, our sin, we realize indeed the true salvation message of the gospel. Christ didn't come just to teach, although we're going to see that in a moment. Christ didn't come just to bring about a political revolution. Christ didn't come just to bring about good philosophy or educated understanding or elevated status. He came on a mission. And that mission from the get-go was to go to the cross for you and I so that we, and here's the big word, could be reconciled back to God. Reconciliation is an economic term where essentially you cancel the debts with the credits. However, we have to remember that in canceling the debts, we have no credits. We cannot credit ourselves to get to a zero balance. Yet what Jesus does is he comes forward as the Messiah, as the anointed one, 
and moves to the cross on our behalf. And in so doing, not only does he reconcile in this economic sense the budget, but he moves us not just to a zero-zero sum, he elevates us to a position of status with him in his kingdom as adopted sons or daughters with a full inheritance to his kingdom. Pause there for a minute. Anybody have debt? Anybody out there? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to know, but what I'm going to tell you is, as my guess is, given the status of the United States, everybody has about $15,000 in credit card debt. You might have more, you might have less, you might manage your money better, but whatever debt you have, what if somebody came forward and said, I'm going to pay that entirely for you? Would anybody be excited about that? I think we all would, right? Better yet, what if somebody came forward and said, not only am I going to pay that entirely for you, I'm going to give you a sum that you have never expected and you will have the inheritance of the kingdom of England. Okay? Might be something pretty good. But we're not talking monetary here, as good as that is. We're talking about the salvation of your soul. We're talking about a debt that you cannot repay. One of the things that I want to remind you of is, is oftentimes when we come forward before God, we walk up to God as if we have something to give or something that we can offer him to better himself. And all that we can offer to him is our heart, broken in need of salvation. We have nothing to offer our king. And yet our king comes forward and he says, come to me, my son or my daughter. I want you to be wholly mine. And I'm willing to go to the cross for you so that you may have eternal life through me. That is why I am your Messiah. That is why I am called the anointed one. That is why I have come to live and die on this earth. That is why I have gone to the cross. That is why I have gone to the grave. That is why I have risen into heaven. And that is why I will come again to establish my kingdom when the Father says it's time. All of that is wrapped up in one word, Messiah. And we get the privilege of worshiping him. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to just take a look um, at Acts verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 36. And it's interesting because when we look at this, um, we're going to discover that it comes essentially on the tail end of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. Now, just to give us a little bit of background for those of us that might need to get a little understanding of what's going on, what has happened here is Acts is essentially a book that is summarizing the Acts of the Apostles, the followers of Jesus. What happened when Jesus came, died, rose from the grave, and pronounced himself essentially as the Savior of the world. But here, what we're discovering in the early part of the book of Acts is the coming or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, just to make sure that everybody recognizes, the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, has eternally existed. He is part of the triune aspect of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see glimpses and movements of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. However, the joy that we see at Pentecost is when Christ has died, he has risen from the grave, he has demonstrated his triumph over sin and grace, he comes forward to the people of God and demonstrates that triumph. 
Then he says, I am going to prepare a place for you in the kingdom, but take heed or have comfort. I'm going to give you a counselor who will be with you throughout the age until I return again. And at Pentecost is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit upon God's people. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, the word, okay, it almost sounds like Klingon, the word for wind, okay, or the movement of the Holy Spirit is ruach, okay? Sounds like, a, like almost like a Klingon sort of invasion, ruach, a very powerful term, but it is the movement of the Holy Spirit and the dispensation of him into us as he indwells us. When we become believers, we have the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity within us. That is where we are, and that is what has happened. And we see many people coming to salvation. At the tail end of this, we see the title given to Jesus being Christ and Lord. And remember, it's a title. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to pick up um, right at 36, okay? Um, It says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Okay? So Israel has been waiting for a Savior. And we're going to talk about the Savior that they were waiting for in just a moment. But in summary, Luke is saying, don't miss this point. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus... This Yeshua, this Savior, whom you crucified. (laughs) Pause there for a minute. Who you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Title. Christos. The Anointed One. Now think about that for a minute. What we need to remember and recognize in this first part is, as the anointed one, Jesus comes on a mission, which is to die on a cross to save us from our sin. Don't miss that. I've said it before, and uh, I try to continue to help people see this. The mission of Jesus is the cross. The mission of Jesus has been laid out. There is no change. There's, there's no sort of uh, you know, aspect of change in the playbook. There's no sort of, oh my gosh, we've got to go and do either a Hail Mary pass or we've got to go to plan B. This is God's plan from the beginning. And Christ willingly does so. So the anointing, the special mission that Jesus is on is yes, to identify himself as God and Savior, But the true mission is to go to the cross. One of the other things, too, that I think is interesting is, uh, this might just be me, this might be me sitting and contemplating and praying, but we often talk about Jesus Christ, right? We say Jesus Christ, just like Trevor Nunn, right? Or you insert your last name, and we kind of think, well, that's the surname of Jesus. Well, just let me pause for a minute here, okay? We often might think of Christ as Jesus' surname, a hereditary name, 
common to all members of a family. But what we don't find in Scripture, and this is me just thinking, is Mr. and Mrs. Joseph and Mary Christ. Do we? This title is unique. And it's given only to Jesus. Because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the only one. Remember this. He is the only one. Anointed, given the commission, given the opportunity, given the mission. By God the Father. Who was able to destroy all of God's enemies. Triumph over sin and death and extend his kingdom throughout eternity. That's the anointed one. That's who we worship. When we say Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah, what we are saying is Savior who is anointed to destroy sin, to bring us to salvation, to establish a kingdom that will have no end. That is all wrapped up in that one name. So friends, one of the things that I want to tell you is this. When you hear the word Jesus Christ, there is so much in that. There is so much more than just a swear name. Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who saves us from a debt that we cannot repay, who not only saves us, But he wraps us up in his arms and he says, you are my son and you are my daughter and my kingdom is your full inheritance. And he does so by going to the cross as his special mission as the anointed one. It's one of the things that I want to just encourage you in is that every time that you see the, the name Jesus Christ, that you would remember and recognize just there the amount of what you are saying and the joy that you have because of what you can say. Friends, Jesus is so much more than a good guy. Jesus is so much more than an amazing teacher. He is all of those things. He's also Savior, but he's so much more than Savior. He's the anointed one on a mission and the only one who can accomplish it. Friends, many men went to the cross Many men died on the cross. Only one who died saved us from our sin. And that is Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ. The other thing that I want to share with you is this. As the anointed one, Jesus uses this title of Christ or Messiah sparingly. It is so interesting to follow Jesus' movements throughout the Gospels and to see how he is not the one who comes forward and announces, I am Jesus the Christ. Only when questioned does he respond with, I am. Why? Number one, we recognize, as we've seen before, Jesus comes in humility, he comes in meekness. But also, in the wisdom of Christ, Jesus recognizes that individuals out there, particularly of his day, the people of God, 
the Jewish nation, the people of Israel, are hoping and hearing about an anointed one or a Messiah who will come. Anyone who had any understanding of the Old Testament would recognize that the Old Testament is pointing to the arrival of a Messiah. But what Jesus also knows is many of these people are thinking as he's come that he is going to be the deliverer of the people of God over the tyranny of Rome. They're thinking that this is a political movement. They're thinking that Jesus will rise to be a king and establish his kingdom to overtake the Roman authority. And they will finally be out of the tyranny and the command of Rome. And so wisely, Jesus is very careful about how he utilizes that title because the title that he gives is so much bigger. Think through this just for a minute. Think about if Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one, came and his mission was to overthrow Rome. That would be a great thing. That would be a wonderful thing. Jesus would have a place in the history books. But what I would tell you is Jesus would have a place in the history books. Because every kingdom will come and every kingdom will fall except for the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to establish an eternal kingdom that has no end. And the kingdom is far greater than the reaches of the political aspect of Rome. The kingdom is the world. The kingdom is you and I. The kingdom is Jesus' ultimate mission. And he does so by going to the cross. It's interesting, okay? Think about this for a minute, and I just want to share this with you. According to Strong's Concordance, okay, it's a, it's a book that basically puts all names together, and then it shows you how many there are, little variations of them, and where they are in Scripture, okay? So according to Strong's Concordance, the New Testament refers to Jesus as the Christ, okay? Just the New Testament over 530 times. I believe if I have it right, it's 538, but don't, don't quote me on that. I know for a fact it's over 530 times. Think about this for a minute, okay? 530 plus times you are hearing individuals refer to Jesus as the Christ, okay? Or the Messiah. The names, for lack of a better word, are really interchangeable. Okay? In their meaning. But here's what's interesting. Many people saw Jesus as the Christ or the anointed one and believed that he was going to become a powerful earthly king who would deliver Israel from the hands of Roman authority. Jesus avoided the title of Christ or Messiah for the majority of his life. Don't miss this. Jesus does not come forward and say, look at me, I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one. Only when questioned does he say, that is who I am. Only shortly before his death did Jesus answer the high priest's question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Stop there for a minute. What an amazing Savior. 
What an amazing individual who has accomplished so much for you and I, yet he has no need to go out and promote himself. No need to say, look at who I am. No need to share who he is. Why? Because he is who he is. He doesn't need to show himself off. He knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. He knows where he is going to go. The high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed words, the one? And with the words, okay, Jesus essentially says, I am. And we see that in Mark 14, 61 through 62. Stop there for a minute. He answers, I am. But recognize by answering, I am, what that means for him. The moment that Jesus does not deny or try to redirect, but answers in character that I am the anointed one, I am the blessed son of God, that proclamation is immediate grounds for his death. Don't miss this. If someone in Jesus' day came forward and proclaimed to be God, that proclamation, according to Jewish law and Jewish tradition, meant that they were to be put to death. Jesus, right there, is signing his own death sentence. Think about that for a minute. Think if you were in a position where you were being questioned about who you are and your character. And you knew that if a particular question came up and you answered it truthfully, that that question meant that you were going to jail. How many of you would him and ha over that answer? Now let me ratchet up the stakes a little bit more. Not only you knew that that question meant that you were going to jail, but it meant that your execution was imminent. How many of you would him and ha over that answer? And Jesus does not. We miss these little nuances sometimes when we read scripture. We miss these things and sometimes we may not recognize that when Jesus comes forward and he announces, I am, he does so with humility yet confidence because there is no denial of who he is and what he will do. And he knows full well, as we're going to see in a moment, as rabbi, that what he says, according to Jewish law, means that his admission of his title is sending him to his death. For you and for me. Because if you remember back when we saw in Acts 2.36, don't miss this, we're looking, and this is the time of Pentecost, and we've seen the Holy Spirit come, we've seen this joyous happening, but we hear these words, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom? You crucified. Both Lord and Christ. 
I don't know about you, but if I was there and that was told to me, hey, that guy that you hailed on Sunday prior as Messiah, but then just a couple of days later you called for his death, you were the one that put him on the cross. Just, just so you know, he is Jesus. He's Savior. But he's not just Savior, he is Lord. And just so you know, he was, is, and will be always the anointed one. I don't know about you, but I think I would tuck tail and run. I did that. I put him there. And friends, what I want to share with you is, is while we weren't there per se, we are there. Because all of us, all of us are enemies of God apart from Jesus Christ. And this is what I love about Jesus being the anointed one. All of these other things, but the thing that draws my heart to him the most is this. As the anointed one, we are the ones who have crucified our Lord. Yet he chooses to forgive us. Think about that. It's interesting to watch the content of Acts 2, 36 through 41 unfold. Peter is addressing the crowd at Pentecost. And here's what's happening. Think about this for a minute. Many people come to realize that they have crucified Jesus, who is both, okay, it's not either or, it's not sometimes this, sometimes this. It is simultaneous. He is both Lord, a very high title, and Christ. How many people can be called Lord? Some. How many people can be called anointed? Not many. No one can be called both Lord and Christ. And you, you crucified him. And watch this, in brokenness, if you kind of follow the passage, in brokenness they ask, brothers, what shall we do? This is like, oh, Schnoike, we have really messed up here. Okay? What do we do? And Peter responds. Watch this. Peter responds, you guys messed up in a big way. It's over. You're done. Go home. Okay? This is like the worst mess up ever. You guys better just run and hope that he doesn't find you. No. This is the gospel right here. Right here. This is the good news. You have crucified the anointed one who has come on a cross to die so that you might have eternal life. You messed up. But I'm giving you the way back to him. And better yet, actually, your mess up, don't miss this, your mess up was his 
mission from the get-go. In brokenness, they ask brothers, and again, this is plural, okay? So brothers and sisters, this isn't excluding, okay? This is basically, what should we do among everybody? What shall we do? And Peter responds, repent and be baptized, okay? Repent, turn from your sins and be baptized. Now, pause for a minute here, okay? We are saved when we repent. We are saved when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a good thing to do. He is saying repent for essentially the salvation and be baptized, which is the proclamation of our unity with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I've inserted there the anointed one for the forgiveness of your sins. You've messed up. You crucified the Christ. But God has so forgiven you through Jesus, all you need to do is turn from your sin and ask for forgiveness. And your sins will be forgiven. Here's what I love about this. Earlier, when we're all standing at the cross and we're all cheering and we're saying, crucify, crucify, crucify. What does Jesus do? Think about this for a minute. People are getting ready to cast lots for his clothing. I, I don't know about you, but like if I come in and, and, and you know, I'm doing the best I can and you guys are all like, oh, you're a great pastor, and then like four days later I don't do anything wrong, and you're like, crucify him, crucify him, right? I'm not going to be very happy. And then even before it's done, you guys are like casting lots for my clothes. Like, Jesus turns. Turns to his father. And he says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Pause there for a minute. As our advocate, okay, this is one of the things I love in, in uh, uh, this book that I'm reading um, um, uh, by Dana Ortland, um, Gentle and Lowly. It is such a beautiful book, and there is a section in it that talks about Jesus as the anointed one who advocates for us, okay? And he explains the difference between advocacy and intercession. Intercession is that Jesus essentially is interceding between two entities for us. Advocating, the big difference is that Jesus is among the two entities, but rather than remaining between the two, he comes to our defense and advocates for us before the Father. Do you see the difference? In advocating for us, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. On the cross, in his worst moment, 
in the moment where he is about to give up his spirit and die, when everything is done, when he is completely humiliated, when there is nowhere else to go, Jesus isn't thinking of himself. He is advocating on our behalf before the Father, saying, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. That's my Savior. That's my Jesus. That's my Messiah. That is the anointed one. And we see the results right here. You want to talk about a savior? Jesus isn't going to save his own, his own hide when it's all said and done. Jesus is thinking of you and me and everyone who he is going to the cross for at the moment of his greatest pain. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one for a special mission to save you and I from our sin. We're going to turn now to our second name, and that is of rabbi or teacher. And the word, for lack of a better word, is rabboni in Hebrew, or didaskalos in Greek. They're interchangeable, okay? Several of us today recognize that um, in the Jewish synagogues there are rabbis. They are essentially the word for teacher. It would be the equivalent of pastor or priest. So some of you that might have Jewish friends that belong to a synagogue, they will have a rabbi. That is essentially coming from the Hebrew term that has been said, rabboni. But interestingly enough, what I want to tell you is this. The word rabbi is a very specific and highly exalted term. You do not use it flippantly. Okay? To be called rabbi, particularly in Jesus' day and prior to Jesus' day, was a term of authority, esteem, privilege, and prosperity. To be a rabbi was to be someone who was of extreme importance and great intelligence. And not everybody could be a rabbi. Interestingly enough, we're going to turn to a spot in Matthew. We're going to look particularly at Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12. And we're going to see something that Jesus is going to say. And I'm going to lay the context in here so that you recognize that when Jesus says this, okay, he is going to really, 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 really make some people angry. And that's what I don't want you to miss here. When Jesus says these words, again, he is putting himself at enmity with those who are going to move forward to try to kill him. Yet Jesus makes no denial of who he is. First thing that I want to share with you again is the name rabbi was reserved for someone who studied under another teacher for many years. Okay? So this term is used for individuals in the Old Testament. It's even still used today. 
But here's what's unique about this, okay? The comments that Jesus makes in Matthew 23 would have infuriated the rabbis of his day. It took years of careful tutelage and careful study, and only the best of the best were to become rabbis. Yet having no formal education, Jesus as, and notice I've put capital rabbi, knew and taught the scriptures with great clarity and authority. In this statement that I'm going to read for you in just a moment, Jesus was saying, I am the only rabbi or teacher who is all-wise, all-powerful, and able to transform your mind, but also your heart. And you'll see this in just a moment. Okay? Um, let's just kind of pick up. You know, Jesus is speaking, and uh, the Pharisees are kind of asking him some questions. Uh, we, will, we will pick up, let's see here. Um, we'll pick up at verse 8. Okay? Actually, uh, do you guys, is it, is it too hard to go to 5? Can you go to 5? Okay. If so, great. If not, we'll, we'll get to eight. But um, everything they do is done for men. He's speaking about the rabbis, okay? Now remember, these people were high of authority. Everyone esteemed them. Everyone thought, oh my gosh, it's Rabbi whoever. It's Rabbi Trevor. It's Rabbi, insert your name. This was a big deal. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their, okay, phylacarities, okay, big word for prayer boxes, Okay? So they would come in, and these file of clarities or prayer boxes, they would walk in and they'd be like, right? And they'd, and the whole thing is, I am important because I have this big box. Bow to me because I am your teacher. Right? Think about that for a minute. It's intimidation is what it is. Because I have this big box, you should learn from me. Don't question me. Right? Because I know all. And so they would want to show their dominance by these big prayer boxes. I was also doing that just to make sure you guys were still awake. <laughs> we come in. They have wide tassels on their garments. They're long. They love the place of honor. And they love the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted at the marketplace and have men call them rabbi. And this is where Jesus really gets them mad. He's speaking to his followers. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers and sisters okay, in Christ. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. Notice, small f, notice large f. Okay? And he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one, capital, teacher. The, I love this part, Christ, the anointed one, the one who is set out on a special mission for you, which is to go to the cross on your behalf. There's so much right in there, in just that little verse. 
the greatest among you will be your servant. That is so counterintuitive because all rabbis existed to be served. They all were to be at an elevated status. They were so unique that only the best of the best could come to them. So some of you, just to kind of put this in context, Kelly and I watched for just our amusement. Uh, we watched the, the, the show Suits. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it. Anybody know the show Suits out there? Some of you might, okay. The whole premise of Suits is uh, there's a law firm, and this law firm is so prestigious that they only hire people who are graduates from Harvard, okay? Now, it's important to know because you could graduate top of your class from Columbia. You could graduate top of your class from Stanford. You could graduate top of your class from Michigan, all excellent law schools, but you could not practice at this firm because you are not a graduate of Harvard, even though you graduated 152nd in your class. And the reason that I bring this up is that was very similar to the rabbinic system that was there. You had to be the best of the best, and you had to qualify in order to be brought under or yoked to a rabbi. Here's the other thing. You and I, we don't qualify. We don't go to Harvard. We don't make it, no matter how smart we are, no matter how good we are. We don't make it because we are not in the order to be rabbi. And if you do make it, you yoke yourself. Okay, notice Jesus says, yoke to me, for my burden is easy and light. You would yoke yourself. You would unify yourself to one rabbi who would teach you for years their wisdom. And if you were good enough and smart enough after years, and we're talking not five, we're talking 15 to 20 years of instruction, you might get the title of rabbi. But here's the thing. You would know the wisdom that was passed to you by your rabbi and your rabbi alone. And Jesus comes forward. He has no formal education. He's a carpenter's son. And he says, there's only one rabbi. You're not to follow them. You're not to gain their wisdom. You're to follow me. Talk about angry people. He has completely undermined the entire political and religious system of his day. Recognize that the title reserved was so prestigious that only select few could be called rabbi. And Jesus comes forward and he says, all of you who've put this system forward, I'm telling you, you are not Rabbi, I am. That's a big statement. And the only reason that Jesus can say it is because he is. Now the other thing that I want to uh, encourage you in is don't miss the context here, okay? As rabbi or teacher, okay, Jesus strongly warns us that we are not to seek other, and I'm going to put it in little term, okay, rabbis. Notice his warning. Lovingly, okay, 
Jesus is a God that's slow to anger, loving in kindness, abounding in mercy, abounding in love. But he makes a very direct warning. And he says, look, I am rabbi. I am teacher. Yoke yourself to me, for my burden is easy, right? And my what? Yoke is light. We talk about that sometimes, and we talk about the stress and those things that are there, but what I'm going to tell you is, yes, that is part of it, but the reason he's saying that is, he's saying, all of you who would never make it, all of you who were automatically exclusive, all of you that didn't graduate from Harvard, you can come to me. And you come to me not because of your intelligence, you come to me not because of your ability to pass exams. You come to me not because of your ability to persevere through 20 years of instruction and be the best in the top of the class. You come to me by simply saying, Rabbi, teacher, I am yours. And interestingly enough, what is said of us when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We become what? The priesthood the priesthood of those who have graduated from Harvard. No. The priesthood of all believers. You are rabbi under Rabbi Jesus. You are under his tutelage. You are under his instruction. And he is the one that you are to yoke yourself to. His teaching, okay, comes under essentially the idea of the seven woes of Jesus. Okay? Woe, be careful of these things. He strongly warns his followers that they are to have one father and one teacher who is the Christ or the anointed one. Yet how often Think about this for a minute. How often will we seek the counsel, wisdom, and guidance from other religious texts, New Age theology, modern thinking, and try to incorporate its teaching into a messy mix of scriptures plus something? So we'll take a little bit of Jesus, and then we'll take sort of the modern thought of the day. We'll take a little bit of the words of Jesus, and we'll get the advice from our friends. We'll take a little bit of Jesus and we'll get sort of the new age modern context of what we should be thinking. And we'll sort of mix it all together in this big old ball and hope that when we throw it up on the wall it'll stick. And you know what Jesus is saying here is stop it. I am your teacher. I am your rabbi. What I give is my instruction to you. Now please hear me, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be reading other books that help explain the content of scriptures, but I see so much in our world where we mix modern stuff, I'll just say, with the scriptures. And what we do is, is we put it in there and we think it's gonna come out to be a good recipe, right? I, I have this problem and Kelly will attest, okay? I'm really enjoying cooking. And, and there's the recipe, and it's like, follow the recipe, and I'm like, oh, but, but if we add this in, it'll be, it'll be really good, right? Oh, if we just add this in, it'll be really good. I should have stuck with the recipe, right? Jokingly, but seriously, stick with the recipe. It's all you need. And what I'm gonna tell you is this, it's gonna be the best. 
trying to add to the scriptures. They are sufficient and Christ is whole and king. We often seek the counsel, wisdom, or guidance from other religious texts, New Age theology, modern thinking, and we try to incorporate its teaching into a messy mix of scripture plus something. When in reality, we see time and time again that, and I'm borrowing this, I gotta give credit, I wish I, I, wish I came up with this, but I, I haven't. This is borrowed from the teaching by Dylan Dodson, okay? Not Dobson, Dodson, okay? Um, and he's teaching on the book of Colossians over a different context, but it's, it's so, so simple, yet so profound. I'm like, darn it, oh, I wish I came up with it, but I gotta give him credit, okay? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus plus nothing, okay, equals everything. Now, he's speaking in a completely different context in Colossians because people are adding to the idea of salvation. But even here, that equation is important. We don't need to add any other teaching, any other rabbi, any other counsel. We have what we need in Jesus Christ, our rabbi. Jesus plus nothing equals, say it with me, everything. Rabbi, Jesus, Messiah. I want to just leave you with this because I know that we're um, moving toward time's up. I see it up there. Um, as Christ, Messiah, and rabbi teacher, Jesus' mission was to save us from our sins so that we might not just be saved, okay? That's wonderful. But be devoted followers of his teaching. Not partial. Okay? Not when it's convenient for us. Not when it's popular, but then maybe in not popular. We are to be devoted followers of his teaching. And when culture comes and culture says his teaching is wrong, or we need to adjust his teaching, or we need to edit his teaching, or we need to add to his teaching, or we need to remove his teaching, or we need to adjust his teaching, or we need to dial down his teaching. Friends, what I'm going to tell you, not in anger, but in love, in mercy, and grace, we are to say no. Because Jesus is my Messiah, and he is my rabbi, not you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you. We just thank you for our Savior Jesus and the blessing that he is. We thank you so much for the aspect of who our Savior is. It continues to blow my mind that in just two words there is so much, yet there are so many words that describe our Savior Christ. My prayer this morning is, is that this just gives us a deeper glimpse into the God who we worship into the Christ in which who has saved us, into the Christ in which we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with. Father, I pray that that would strengthen and embolden us in our walk with you to go out in humility, but also in boldness to tell other people about the Savior, Christ, Rabbi, Messiah, of whom we have. 
Father, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that our salvation is secure and the blessedness that we have in our Savior Jesus. We pray these things in your name and your name alone. And we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,